This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. On referendum night, as the results became clear, campaigners, politicians and everyday people said... This is not the end of the fight for Indigenous rights. Tonight is not the end of the road. And it's certainly not the end of our efforts to bring people together. We will carry on and we will move forward and we will thrive. This is not the end of reconciliation. But after years of campaigning for a voice to Parliament and mobilising millions of supporters around this idea, what is the path forward from here? It's a question that's front of mind at one of Australia's largest independent political organisations, GetUp, whose CEO is Widgible Weeable woman Larissa Baldwin-Roberts. Right now, there needs to be some responsibility put on non-Indigenous people and especially politicians to be like, okay, where the hell do we go now? Because we have to live together. Today, a conversation with Larissa on the Black Justice agenda after The Voice. It's Thursday, the 19th of October. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. So, Larissa, I imagine this result in this week has been incredibly tough. How have you been feeling? What are the reactions that you've been seeing in community with mob as well? You know, it's devastating. I was like, you know, maybe I pre-grieved this thing and then I got hit by a train on Sunday and was kind of laid up in bed just crying and just, you know, like kind of the weight of the emotion. And it's not just, it's not the political result. Like, I don't cry a lot after campaign results. You kind of are focused on moving on and what's to next and how to make sense of this. But I think there's just a piece of like utter devastation of like there is a rejection in the message, even though we're talking about a constitutional mechanism. Mm. One of the reasons really quickly after the referendum that I decided to kind of come out and say that I was really angry and publicly say that because I knew people would be watching is just because I wanted to make a space that it was okay to come out and say, I'm really angry, I'm really hurt and to feel like we don't have to comply with some, like all the time as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we are told to be respectful, to lead with love, to connect with people. Uh, We get that from our old people. We've got to try and convince people to understand where we're coming from. For me, there's been many points in my work and school history where I've been the only black fella in the room. 
you know, we are a minority within this country and that is the experience of so many people this week is that, you know, they're going to work, most of their colleagues are non-Indigenous. You know, I talk to my brothers and, and lots of other people who are just like, I don't know how to send my kids to school because I don't know how to explain this thing to them. I just want to keep them home because there have been so much tormenting and stuff that was happening in the campaign that was making its way into the schoolyard. And so we're just like, I just don't feel safe. And there's no way to, to kind of pull that apart that that isn't about us. It is because mm. we can feel it. And so there is a collective grief and it's hard to hold collective grief. And so I think that in a lot of ways for the first time, maybe there are a bunch of non-Indigenous people that have experienced some sort of like, you know, bystander rejection within that as well. Mm. You know, we were talking last night with a lot of activists and organisers across the country, been having lots of conversations, um, phone calls going around like, what do we do right now? And there's definitely, you know, watch this space. There's going to be some space for coming together. I think we need to do that and we need to think about culturally what's appropriate here for people. But also we're asking people, uh, you know, in your schools, in your workplaces, this is not about how you voted, but asking people to kind of show up with your solidarity, like where Indigenous Designs proudly, this incredible Black-owned businesses out there, you know, put on an Aboriginal flag on your earrings, wear ribbons or something that just mm. shows our mob that not, they're not invisible right now. Right. Because right now the experience, you know, I get here from so many mobs, like I'm just walking around being like, okay, so most of you voted no. Like how do I, you know, go up and order a cup of coffee and feel like. Was it you? Was it you? Do, do I even want to come into this establishment? It yeah. feels like that right now. And, and, and regardless of what the vote was about, that's that's the overwhelming way people feel right now. Mm. What do you think of the comments made by Noel Pearson, Marsha Langton and others in the past few days who, after being the face of reconciliation for so long, now say that reconciliation is dead? Reconciliation is in a really tough space right now. Mm. And I know I've been out there saying reconciliation. In my anger, I did say reconciliation is dead, but I really do believe I don't understand how you can reconcile, like the process of reconciling with someone who says that they can't see you. Mm. Reconciliation requires two people to be able to understand that harm has been done and that there is a, a space for justice. And I just don't know with that overwhelming vote, are we even seen within this country? So for me, reconciliation had, I think, a relevance 30 years ago. Is it the fix-all for what we need right now? No, I'm not saying I know where to go, but I just uh, reconciliation and falling behind that banner is, is it, it kind of feels like you're hiding behind an olive branch that we extended to you many, many decades ago. And I think actually right now there needs to be some responsibility put on non-Indigenous people and especially politicians to be like, okay, where the hell do we go now? Because we are... Mm. We all have to live here together. You know, my dad always used to say, like, there is no word in our language for visitor. We have to live together. So how do we do that? But there's a lot of, I think, soul searching that needs to be done here. And I think there needs to be some political leadership in how to do that as well. Do you think that young leaders will reject this idea of reconciliation across the board? For younger mob? We participated in reconciliation because of the respect that we have for our old people and our elders and the way that they carry themselves because of all the work and the, you know, everything that we have achieved is through their hard work. Mm. And so, you know, they hold a place of reverence in our lives and we respect their leadership and we respect their approach. And so everybody that is of age right now really has to think about what does this actually mean for us? Because right now... The Australian voters have told every level of government in this country, except the ACT, that if Indigenous affairs is off the table, it's okay. Hmm. We've had a lot of different ideas being put forward just in the past few days about what should be the new agenda post 
the voice. We've heard talk of, you know, guaranteed seats in parliament, moving on to the truth-telling element of voice treaty truth, um, a truth and justice commission, for example. I'm sure GetUp has been thinking about what you'll most be campaigning on. Is there a, a platform that you're putting forward post-voice? We have a list of things. <laughs> um, and so for me and for our movement in terms of GetUp, we have over a million members. We are going to focus on the reforms that our communities have been calling for for a long time. And so there are promises that have been made by this uh, government in terms of, you know, the bush vote in the NT looking at the protection of water in the Northern Territory. There is an incredible amount of their land that is is currently earmarked for fracking mm. and there is no protection across uh, the water trigger and those types of things. And that is something that the, you know, the people that were running for government had promised uh, communities. There is cultural heritage reform and I understand what's happened in WA. And so those reforms, making sure that they're there, but also dealing with, you know, people talking about closing the gap. There is an incredible housing crisis that is being experienced by our communities and is worse and disproportionate to what is happening across the rest of the country. And that is because the money and the funding is not going in there. So I think there are key issues and, and looking at reform around deaths in custody and incarceration and justice reinvestment. These things matter to our communities. The investment in health services and how to bring provide health services in remote and regional areas that is culturally appropriate um, services for our community. So these are things we're going to focus on. But the broader, I think the broader conversations around truth-telling, mm. we have to do truth-telling because it works. I think if you think about over the last decade the incredibly powerful role that the holding space on January 26 and how many people that has, you know, the thing that I overwhelmingly hear around people coming around those rallies is just understanding, like, I didn't even know that this was our history, right? And we mm. need to make it visible. We need people to understand that actually this isn't about, you know, a zero-sum game where we want something over here and we're going to have to take it from you, which is what conservative politicians have been saying throughout this campaign, which has been really disgraceful. It's about harm was done here and you can take away those policies that have done harm, but there has been no mitigation of the, the fallout from those policies. What would you be calling on the federal government to do in order to be committing to that element of truth-telling? The government needs to invest in a national truth-telling commission mm. process um, where we can bring evidence forward. I don't exactly know what it looks like because there's different mechanisms and there's, you know, there's different models happening at a state level as well. The government can stand together and say, we need to uncover the truth of our history in order to move forward together. And for them, I think they didn't do that within the referendum campaign and explain why we need to do this right now. It was so much based about our disadvantage, the idea that something needs to change, but it was really obscure if people don't pay attention to politics and if people don't know anything about us. So I think on truth-telling there's a role there, a big role for governments to play. Right. You can't just repeat statistics around Indigenous people without mentioning the underlying truth that those statistics are driven by colonisation. They're a direct effect of colonisation, not because of who Indigenous people are as a society. Part of the work that you have to do as campaigners is to humanise. And guilt doesn't work and statistics don't work. Mm. And what we find overwhelmingly in um, the research that we do is that if you just give the statistics and the devastation and the deficit without context then what you instill in people is this idea that there is inherently something wrong with these people. Mm. And so when you say that and then you say, hey, let's give these people some power, they're like, these people are dysfunctional, which if you look at the, just peel back the referendum campaign, think back to a few weeks ago, 
the conversation is about our dysfunction mm. uh, overwhelmingly. People can believe that because they can believe, you know, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Why can't they? Because you don't have the context of what happened in colonisation because colonisation was not a good thing for Aboriginal people. You've been meeting with politicians in Canberra over the past few days. How have those conversations played out and what exactly have you been pushing for? Uh, we met, I won't tell you who we met with, but we met with a broad cross-section of parliamentarians mm. uh, at all levels. And really what we wanted to do was just be, you know, be in their face and say, what are you doing here? As people who are principally charged with creating legislation in this country and reminding them that there were promises made to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and just because the referendum happened and it was a no, you still made those election commitments and our movement is aware of those commitments and we're going to hold you accountable on them. So as much as it was, you know, having conversations around how they feel about the referendum and the result of the referendum, it also was a bit of a kick up the backside to be like, you need to show up for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you can't just walk away mm-hmm. here because... You know, if if voters and if our movements don't hold them accountable, there's every chance that they will walk away. We know that many states have committed to their own treaty and voice processes at the state level. Are they now at risk, considering that every state voted no? To me, the most critical reforms, I think, are treaties. Mm. Lots of Australians, even conservatives, agree with treaties. I think what when people hear treaty, first of all, they're aware that there is a very long, long call for treaty in this country that political leaders have championed for a long time. And people have heard the song over many, people many years. People have heard the song. It's a good song. And But also the other thing is that people see, even if they don't understand it, that there is a negotiation within treaty, right? And for a lot of mob, that's what they hold on to. It's like we need to get the negotiating table and talk about what we need and have a space to talk around how we go forward. We've seen millions of people come out and, and vote yes in mm-hmm. Australia and get behind Indigenous justice in a way that maybe they haven't had before. How can they continue to show their support for some of those big justice agenda items? Yeah, and I think that's so important. When we were kind of in the immediate aftermath of the referendum, that was one of the things we really wanted to talk about, that millions of people voted for us. Uh, and that's something that shouldn't get lost here. You know, it is true that all people who are racist voted no, but it doesn't mean all people that voted no are racist. And I think there's there's some pulling apart actually why people thought about this change because there were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that voted no, and I think that's really important to understand. But I've been a campaigner for almost 20 years. I come from a family of campaigners. I know throughout our lived history that change is really possible and it will be incremental and there will be some big shifts and we achieve that by creating momentum. And so even though this is a huge loss, hopefully this is as low as we can go and that we can build from here. But I also think in the aftermath of what's happened here, there is actually a space to reach out and, you know, not blame people but have conversations around, okay, what does this mean? Even if you have family members that have voted no, reaching Mm -hmm. out to them and having a conversation and saying, so where do we go from here, right? And starting with that conversation because if we can bridge that gap then maybe we can talk about how change can happen on top of that. Right. Change doesn't have to necessarily look like turning up to protests, although I imagine that's encouraged as well, but it can be a conversation amongst family members about this result. What we really need to do in the aftermath of this result is be bold enough to say that you're for change. You can't leave it to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities by ourselves to do that. And I think that would be an even bigger devastation on what is already a devastating loss Mm. uh, if it is only us by ourselves that have to go forward. 
and work out how to pick up the pieces and deal with this huge derailment that's happened, uh, we need to have other people there. You know, we've never won on anything in this country without solidarity. Next, the power of the black vote in remote communities. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I just want to look at the results and what they tell us, especially for you as an advocacy organization. We've seen, you know, regions with a high proportion of Indigenous people overwhelmingly vote yes in the referendum, including the community where No Campaigner Centre Price's family is from. What do you take away from that result? I would say the overwhelming vote in the Northern Territory is really significant and uh, it's incredible to see for that hope to be able to come for the, the NT is something that I take a lot of courage from because there is a lot of issues that those communities are, are dealing with day in, day out. I, mm. I talk to a lot of community leaders and a lot of activists on the ground who are not paid activists, who are just trying to do better for their communities. And to come together and and say, we want change in this country, even though it was such a small thing, it takes an incredible amount of work. We have seen in recent days Jacinta Price come out and say that she believes voters in remote communities were manipulated and exploited both during the campaign and at polling booths. I mean, one thing that I do know is the way in which Indigenous people in remote communities um, are exploited for the purpose of you know, somebody else's gender. There is a lot that goes on in remote communities that the rest of Australia doesn't get to see. If we had cameras in those remote communities, at those polling booths, Australia would see what goes on within those communities. There's a lot of manipulation. The Australian Electoral Commission has rejected that claim. They say that rules for campaigning at polling booths were consistent across the country. What do you make of Price's claim? I think that's a really disgusting thing to say. Are you advocating to go back to what was, you know, just before this referendum when there's huge amounts of populations across the Northern Territory who are not enrolled to vote? You know, I was in Northern Territory election after election where you would have people turning out on booths or missing the AEC being out there, trying to work out where they could go vote, people turning out to booths after Scott Morrison did the automatic, you know, passed the automatic enrolment stuff, which removed a lot of people without a fixed address from the rolls and had people turning out on booths saying, I voted before. I should be on the roll and, and stuff like that and people really wanting to make sure that their voice was being heard. And so in a democracy, in the most remote places in this country, I think those comments are really disgusting. But also try and go out into Northern Territory communities and tell people what to think because 
These are communities that are sick and tired of being used as political footballs and want to speak for themselves. And I think they have overwhelmingly voted that they want change, that they want to see representation. Just one more point on the demographics. We saw support really high in the inner cities, but really rapidly drop away from there in many places, in the outer suburbs, in the regions definitely as well. We also saw, I suppose, yes voters being more likely to be university educated, being wealthier. What does that say about, I suppose, the challenges of messaging around Indigenous justice? What challenges are there? For me, I am a leader of one of the largest political organisations in the country. And I think that result means that progressive organisations need to reflect on where we put our resource. Because we have huge memberships in, in metro areas. But if we are to run any campaign for justice, we need to be able to talk about class in this country. We need to be able to reach people in regional areas. Uh, We need to understand that the mis and disinformation spreads because there are so many people in this country who feel like they are being left behind. Lots of people are feeling insecure right now. And I think that we uh, over-intellectualise justice fights and we make them inaccessible to people. And so I think about how we connect, how we put our resources in this country uh, into regional areas, how we create space to platform and pass the mic to people who are not you know, academics, not experts in the field. And the reality is, is that if you want to persuade people on any issue, get people experience the issue to hold the space. They know the solutions. And I think, you know, we get in our own way and then we have results like that. And I just think that's an indictment on our movement and the way that this campaign was run. And it's important to have support, especially in referendums. You know, there's a hope that if you mobilise support in the metro areas, you could help carry the national vote because there's such huge population base there. But it means that we're leaving a whole bunch of people behind Mm. uh, and we need to get better at reaching them and that means we need to be able to talk about race and class in this country and we haven't done it really well in a lot of campaigns. We spoke earlier about people grieving and people being worried about turning up to school. What are the kind of resources or the spaces that you're turning to at the moment, at this week, and what can mob turn to, what can allies turn to, to kind of process those emotions? Hold space, I think. For me, um, there was a lot of people that were messaging me and being like, I wish there was like some place for us to come together. Is this, you know, can we talk about it? And I was just, you know, some of the Aboriginal campaigners that worked on the campaign on Sunday were like, you know what, we're just going to the pub. We're just going to wear our <laughs> Aboriginal flags and we go to the pub and you're going to look sideways and it's going to be uncomfortable, but we're going to be together and spend some time. Like find some joy as well, I think. It's not... It's devastating, but I just think for the space that we need to come together collectively and, you know, come together and hold space uh, and that space for, you know, cleansing and grieving and just holding hope again, this feels awful right now. And so for me, you know, I gave my team the day off. So if you can take a day off, um, I would do that. Referendum leave. Referendum leave. Nationwide. (laughs) Well, we got it gratitude leave. Like, thank you for showing up. But take the time. Like, you know, go out and do something. Go outside, go on country. Larissa, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Larissa Baldwin-Roberts, CEO of Get Up Australia. You can read our ongoing coverage of the fallout from the referendum at theguardian.com, including the results of the latest Guardian Essential poll, which found a majority of voters want Labor to support Indigenous Australians, but a split on how. We've linked to that on the full story page. 
That's it for today. This episode was produced by Phoebe McElwraith and Karishma Luthria. The executive producer is Hannah Parks. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.